Man, I was thinking when Christy was talking a while ago about uh, access to God and how you have access to God in, you know, in your car, at work, at home. Um, you know, marvelous truth. I thought about the story I'm going to preach from in a minute about a lame man who was lame for 38 years and he was taken every day to the pool of Bethesda uh, because they had the situation where miraculously the waters would get, uh, they call it troubled, whatever that meant. And if you could get in the water, people were getting healed apparently. At least with that, that's what the, he thought. And Jesus goes to him and I, I love it. What we're going to read in a minute. It said uh, uh, Jesus was told. He, Jesus asked about him. You see the text. I can't remember exactly how it's worded. We'll see in a second. But it, it's obvious that Jesus asked about this guy. And he learned about him. And he learned he had been there a long time. And I thought, as she was talking about it, that is, that is so incredible that, uh, that the word of the day was kind of like today was uh, attend church attend synagogue, and Jesus turned it around, and he attended humans. It was like, now, instead of going to church, the church went to them, you know? And now that's what, that's what God wants. That's what God wants the church to become. God wants Sunday to be training for the church going to the world. And so tomorrow, that's why we always say around here, we want to be bigger on Monday than we are on Sunday, because we want you to go be, be a good friend to somebody who's been hurting for a long time. That's what Jesus was. He was a good friend. And we're going to see that not only did he visit the guy, he went and goes and looks him up, and he, he found him in church and said, how you doing? And Go and sin no more. That's the worst thing come upon you. Isn't that what friends do? Right? That's what friends do. Your friends get in your face once in a while. Friends give you a good slap once in a while, right? So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about, oh, by the way, uh, I really hope you, if you if you missed the last two sermons in this series, you will go to the podcast and listen to them because I think it will help today's sermon to make a little more sense to you if you go and you watch or you listen to the last two weeks. I talked to someone on the phone yesterday and they really got out of, a lot out of the first week. So uh, if you haven't, how many of you uh, occasionally listen to podcasts? Oh wow, wow, that's 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 really good. I'm, I'm really blessed to know that. So good. I'm glad uh, the hard work that uh, uh, Mike Sartori does is, uh, is being appreciated. Yeah. Good to have uh, Derek and Carissa straining here today, man. Wow. It really, we miss them so much in just uh, so many ways. I just, you know what, Carissa, I just miss watching you and Sherry. Uh, and maybe sometimes Christy would be part of that, yuck it up. Nobody could yuck it up better than those three or four. Sometimes a fourth person's involved. They could ever more yuck it up. So I miss that a lot. Maybe we could do some video chat yucking up. Could we do that? John 5. Today I'm going to talk about, I wanna, I wanna, what I want to try to do today is change our conversation about sin. We don't talk about sin very much in the church anymore. So I want to, we need to reintroduce it because Jesus talked about it. So I want to and, and, and try to find that, try to find that sweet spot. You can go, you can go one of two ways with sin. You can go a neurotic way or you can go psychotic. You can go one way or the other. 
and, and so we, there's a sweet spot for talking about sin. If you don't talk about sin, you're missing a huge part of the gospel. So we need to talk about sinning. We want to, we want to bring that back. We want to bring that back to the church. The idea that we can talk about and we can develop a, a theology of behavior, a philosophy of behavior. And I think you're going to see that we can do this. If we do it right, we, en- we enhance the grace of God. And we don't do away with it. If we do it wrong, then you miss the grace of God. We don't want to do that. John 5, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Can you imagine? <laughs> that's that's bad, a religion gone bad, let me tell you. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there, But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. I'm going to read a couple of passages from the epistles today, but I'm not going to comment on them or try to explain them. But uh, if you want to know more about them, Google it. I mean, really, the Holy Spirit in Google can do amazing things in your life. Romans 6.1, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of this wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So, let's look at that statement. That statement that stands out to us, we're talking about things that Jesus wouldn't say. And Jesus would not say, I forgive you, go and sin some more. Jesus would say, I forgive you, go and sin no more. So let's talk about that statement. That's some statement. What does it mean, and why would Jesus put that burden on us? Why would he put that burden on us? What if, what if, but, but what if Jesus wasn't putting a burden on us, but instead he was teaching us something about aligning ourselves, aligning ourselves with reality, a reality that our rebellion created, but in his mercy and grace. This wasn't a judgy thing, a critical spirit, but in his mercy and grace, he wanted to teach us how to navigate reality, knowing what sin does to reality. What if the term, I am the way, the truth, the life, means that Christ doesn't only represent a philosophy of belief, believe in Jesus, that's preached a lot, but also a philosophy of behavior. Let me tell you, let me let you in on something. If you were a fly on the wall, at a conversation of a group of 21st century pastors and veteran Christians, I add in this group, you would conclude certain things. A, that we think you are very fragile and can only handle being told you are wonderful just like you are. (laughs) B, 
that you have a very short attention span, and therefore you can only listen for about 20 minutes. And see that you're very simple-minded, and you get very confused by three-syllable words. And D, that you are totally incapable of controlling your impulses. Therefore, you must be reminded every few minutes that your salvation is by grace and not works. You know what? I think we've insulted you. I think we've insulted you, and I think we got you completely wrong. A, you're not fragile. You give birth, for goodness sakes. You battle cancer. You commute to Boston every day. You climb power lines in sub-zero temperatures and keep the electricity going. You clean up unbelievable messes every week. You take care of your aging parents, etc., 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 etc. You are not fragile. And you're not able to sit still and absorb information because you have college degrees. You watch three-hour movies. You go to three-hour sporting events. And I'm not being sarcastic when I say you play video games that require you to play, pay close attention to very complex information for three or four hours at a time you are not unable to pay attention. That's a lie. And I'll tell you something else. The vast majority of you, not all of you, but the vast majority, can control your impulses of violence, pleasure, sharing information. How many of you have some information that you've never told anybody? Well, not as many as I thought. <laughs> but still a pretty good percentage of you have actually kept information inside of yourself. You haven't told anybody. You have a majority of you can control your impulses of, like I said, violence, pleasure, slothfulness, and sex. Extraordinarily. You do an extraordinary job of that, or, or else everything would be in total chaos. Everything would be totally chaos right now if you couldn't control your impulses. You know, that's how it is. A human animal gets about, as a human animal, you get about, you get about 18 months that you can be completely irresponsible. After that, if you're fortunate, you have some adult who gently but firmly informs you that you're capable of not living your whole life in your own waste. That you can do that. I'm telling you, you're amazing. And remember, let's remember something. I'm going to put this into context. As Jesus is saying, he's addressing the forbidden subject, sin. Don't sin. He says, stop sinning. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning because I know it's a very confusing passage. Don't sin anymore unless the worst thing come on you. And what do you do with that? No wonder we don't preach on it. What does that mean? But we're going to try to uh, shed some light on it this morning. But remember, let's remember something. Anything that comes out of Jesus' mouth is the gospel. It's the gospel. I was shocked to read in Scott McKnight's excellent book, The Gospel of the King. Uh, when he asked some pastors, um, did Jesus preach the gospel? And you know what? They all said no. Jesus did not preach the gospel. Paul did. Because we have defined the gospel. We've taken 
a, a, very impart, a very important part of the gospel story, I will add, which is Jesus died for our sins, and therefore we can go to heaven. Very important part of the gospel. Don't think I'm minimizing that or trying to change that today. I'm not. But we take that, and we've made that the whole gospel. But if Jesus said something, it's gospel. It's a part of the gospel story. Eternal salvation through the blood of Jesus on the cross is a part of the story. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story. In fact, the word forgive, you know what the word forgive? I, I, I didn't know this till this week when I researched it. The word forgive means remitting our sins, yes. But it also means release. It means remission and release. The word gospel means good news. I like the good news that I can be forgiven and I'm not going to be held accountable for all the things I've done. I can go to heaven. I like that. But you know what I like, also like? I like someone teaching me that I can be released from the blinding and binding and, and, and horrific habits that are going to make my life hell on earth even if I do manage somehow, some way to get to heaven at the end. That's part of the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel for people's lifespan, not just for eternity. Amen? We're going to talk about that today. I, I want to break it down into three, three parts. And the first is the grace and promise in these words of Jesus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, you would think on the surface that someone's saying, don't sin or something bad's going to happen to you. You would think that, that is, that's not words of grace, Right? Yeah, I mean, that's on the surface. You think that's not words of grace, but think. Of, let's think about that for a minute. Let's let's just think about it. You know, um, is is that loving? Because I've had people say to us, and you know, we at Bethany Community Church, we kind of stood our ground on this for about twenty years or, or more. We've kind of stood our ground on this and say, okay, if we love you, we're going to talk to you about areas you need to grow. Our our motto is love, grow, serve. So we're going to love you just like you are. And if you never change, we're still going to love you. That's fine. We're going to love you, man. We're never, we're never given permission to reject you. But we're going to try to help you grow. And so that means we're going to talk about things that some people might go. That's, that's not mercy and grace to talk about that. And, um, and, and I actually had, I actually had someone tell me just like, uh, three weeks ago, uh, if you tell someone they're wrong, you're judging them. That's what he told me. If you tell someone they're wrong, you're judging them. Oh, boy. Well, I, I, had, I just had this experience. I, I mean, in the last three years, you know, I had surgery and cancer and all that. And, and um, uh, I had uh, a couple of different physical therapists who, who they sent me to after surgery and to help me get better and get everything working right and stuff like that. And I went to this one physical therapist who uh, would give me no evaluation or no direction. And just, I was like, I asked her about one, something one week, and she said, literally, she said, I thought about looking that up on the internet. <laughs> and here's someone with a master's degree in physical therapy. I, I thought about looking on the internet, and I, I think, okay, maybe 
she'll look it up on the internet now when I come back next week. I came back next week, and she hadn't looked it up on the internet. And so I got in my car that day, and I said, you know, this is, this is really useless. Uh, I'm not getting any direction. I'm not told what I should do, what I should not do. I'm not being give me direction. But I, I hung in there. I kept going because it was an insurance thing. And I've been told about this uh, physical therapist uh, from a couple different sources that was just like the best. And, and, and even the term, I, I talked to another physical therapist who said, she's the best in the world at, at this type of therapy. And so finally, it's a long story, I fought the insurance company for four months and finally went. Uh, finally worked out. Uh, you know what? That physical therapist was bossy. Started telling me what to do. Wow. Started, don't, you need to stop doing that. And don't, th- those, that, those, that stuff they, they told you that doesn't work. Don't do that anymore. And, I mean, details of my life. What I, you know, and, and I asked her one, once, I asked her uh, one of the visits, I said, I asked her, I said, do you get tired of people coming? Because I can tell this person is good. You just know when you're in the presence of competence, man. It is an amazing thing when you step out of incompetence and you step into someone who's competent. And so I asked her, I said, do you get tired of people coming up to you in social situations and asking you about their physical problems? She said, oh, no. And she was sincere. She said, it makes me so happy because I love to help people get better. So who cared about me the most? The one who didn't want to tell me what to do or the one who was bossy and wanted to tell me what to do? Who cared for me the most? Who really loved me? Who really, if that's the wrong term, loved me, but you know what I mean. Who really cared? You know, I will grant you that religion can turn. I I know what some of the objection to this is. I grant you that religion can get very neurotic very fast. Religion can get very neurotic. I mean, remember when you thought God really cared if you had a hot dog or fish for lunch on Friday? (laughs) Remember? You thought God really cared. My brother had a speaking engagement canceled because he grew a beard. Uh, we had a joint meeting we were doing together, supposed to do together cancel because they heard me play the piano and said my p- piano playing sounded too much like a honky tonk, which it does. <laughs> I'm proud of that, so don't criticize <laughs> me. I mean, just got, you know, you know they're going to liberate women, I think it's today, to drive cars in Saudi Arabia. Who decided that God didn't want a woman driving a car? I mean, and, and you wait, the conservative men in, in, in Saudi Arabia, there's going to be some horrible things are going to happen as these women start driving cars. But really, really, these guys should be like thrilled because they don't have to take the kids to soccer practice anymore. They should be really excited. You know, they, they don't have to. You know, they, they now can say, honey, go, go do this. And, and the women will be excited to do it because they didn't get to drive before. Now, that'll change after a few years. But, but for there'll be a honeymoon period where, the, oh, I get to drive the car. I'll go to the grocery store. You know? See, so what I'm saying, religion can really be awful. Religion can just become so 
so full of rules that are just crazy. I, I, I remember as a kid, I had a neighbor, and they belonged to a, they, they, they pastored. It was a church right by my house uh, called the Church of Christ. And they, they believed that it was wrong to have music in church, instruments. They believed it was wrong to have musical instruments, that God didn't like musical instruments in church. And I asked the pastor one day, I was a little kid, I was like 11 years old. I said, is, I said you mean you think it's wrong to have a piano? Because I love to play the piano. You think it's wrong to have a piano in the church? He said, no, it's fine to have a piano in the church as long as it's in a back room covered up. I get it. Religion is really scary when you get it wrong. But Jesus wasn't talking about stupid stuff like that. Jesus wasn't talking about stupid stuff like, Should you, can you eat fish on Friday? He wasn't talking, or meat, on, or uh, pork, or whatever. He wasn't talking about stuff like that. And we're going to see in a minute, here's a guy that's pretty easy to see. His spiritual condition, maybe you don't see it yet, but I think hopefully you will when I'm done, wasn't great. He was lame physically, but his, his, his condition of his soul was worse off than his body. But Jesus' words, let's get back to the point here, that Jesus' words were full of grace and not judgment. Jesus' words are full of grace and promise because they built self-esteem. They didn't destroy it. They built self-esteem. Think of this. Jesus said, you can do better. There's potential in you. Why do we think it's building your self-esteem to say, you're just perfect the way you are? When you tell me that, I feel hopeless. Oh, this is it? I've maxed out? <laughs> I've maxed out. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, and now maybe in my in my immature moments I want, but in my more thoughtful, intelligent moments, if you can show me a way that I can get better, if you can show me a way that I can do better, if you can show me, here's something that's sabotaging you, you know, you're actually building my self-esteem because you think I can handle it. Would you say amen? Is this, is this okay so far? Jesus' words were full of grace and promise because they communicated your life matters and everything you do matters. Isn't that more affirming to say everything I do matters than nothing you do matters? You don't matter. Just do whatever you want. No, that doesn't make me feel. That just, that's not words of grace. And, and what about the fact that Jesus' words were full of promise because they were empowering? You know, uh, I, this is going to be very counterintuitive to the way we think. But some of the best news ever is to find out something is your fault. That is some of the... You're looking at me like a calf at a new gate. Like, what? That's, I've spent all my energy and time trying to make sure someone else is to blame. I spend all my time trying to make sure everybody knows that what's going on in my life is not my fault. Well, you know what that means? It means you're powerless. It means you're totally powerless to change anything because you cannot change other people. Thank you. Listen to the guy. I've, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. 
while I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. <laughs> Isn't that pathetic? Blame, resentment, self-pity, a critical spirit. He's crit critical of everybody around him, man. That's the most futile, the most disempowering behavior on the planet. Jesus says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. Man, that is just, I don't know, that just explodes in my soul. Jesus doesn't want to hear his excuses. Jesus doesn't want to hear why you think you can't succeed. Why you don't think you can get better. Jesus doesn't want to hear why it's everybody else's fault. Jesus doesn't want to hear why it's your family's fault, or your spouse, or your ex-spouse, or your church, or your community, or the, the Democratic Party, or the Republican Party. Jesus doesn't want to hear it. He just says, would you, would you like to get well? Some people don't. Jesus' words were full of grace and promise because it was God saying, and I love this, it really, God was saying, it really makes me happy when you have a better life. It really makes me happy when you have a better life. See, sin is when we fail to reach our potential, but say, think, and do things that make our lives or the lives of those around us worse. Hamartino is the Greek word. It means to miss the mark. The word worse that Jesus said at the end of this story means sorer, S-O-R-E-R, S-O-R-E-R, or yeah, how that came out. It means aching, bruised, hurting, and uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't want you to go around being hurting and aching and uncomfortable. He wants your life. He'd come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And Jesus has a way for you and me to stop making our life worse. Jesus has a way. No matter what circumstances you're in, you can make them better. No matter what you're living in, no matter what you're living through, no matter what difficult situation you're living through, you can make it better or you can make it worse. Jesus says, I got a way. I got a theology for you, a way to make it better. Sylvester Stallone of Rocky Rambo fame has come back to his Christian roots and a con conversion experience. So he says, has released him. Here's his words, has released him from the pressures of the world. Here's what he said. He said, the more I go to church and the more I turn myself over the process of believing in Jesus uh, and listening to his word and having him guide my hand, I feel as though the pressure's off me now. I was raised in a Catholic home, a Christian home, and I went to Catholic schools and I was taught the faith and went as far as I could with it until one day, you know, I, I got out in the so-called real world and I was presented with temptation and I kind of like lost my way and made a whole lot of bad choices. Now, I know what you're thinking. All right, I, guess, I can only guess what you're thinking, but I guess, if you're thinking, you're probably thinking. <laughs> My preaching sometimes suspends thinking. I... <laughs> but it does facilitate sleeping. <laughs> I'm, I do some good in the world, Pat. That's all I want, just to do good in the world. Have people rest. 
But you might be thinking, the disciples got thrown into prison and experienced all kinds of persecution for following Jesus, so much for escaping a worse life. Listen, listen to me. This is really important because you are going to, if you make right choices and you move away from sin toward the best and the highest aim, you're sometimes going to get in situations where you're going to get kind of beat up. But listen to this. They had the thrill of meaning in their lives, and that meaning was based on the fact that they were starting the greatest religion in the world that is still going today and has more converts and more followers than any other religion in the world, and they knew it. They knew they were a part of the greatest thing that history would ever, would ever produce. So don't tell me that they had a worse life. They had the greatest life ever. Amen? You know, besides your nervous system has, you know your nervous system has two entirely different systems. One for, one for challenge and danger that you choose versus the other for challenge and danger that is forced on you. And challenge and danger that is forced upon you and abuse that is forced upon you is traumatic and scarring. But when you choose danger and you choose challenge, you are called a thrill seeker. And it does not have the same effect on your emotion. Instead, it has the other effect and you get in what the psychologists call the flow state. Because you move into a place of energy and power by doing something that's living on the edge. I mean, Derek Straining's here, so he, he can tell you all about that. Derek would never, ever turn down a challenge. He chose challenge, I, I tell you. I, I wish I had time to tell you about some of the challenges that I know he accepted. But, Derek, did you enjoy it? In fact, you know, I will say this. I just heard that Derek's going, uh, and, 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 some, and uh, Ward and, and Stephanie, they're going hiking all night tonight. Now, if someone made you do that, that would be abuse. But when you choose to do it, uh, it really, a whole different part of your nervous system. If I marched you out in the woods all night and you know, keep marching, I have a gun to your back, you know, you'd be like, this is traumatic, this is abusive. But when you choose it, and with God, you get to choose it. With God, you get to say, yes, I'm going on the adventure of my lifetime. Amen? So you give financially. You serve, and you give, and you go, and you get involved with people, and you do things, and you make a difference in people's lives, and, and you don't get enough sleep, and you, you, maybe you don't eat right, and stuff like that, but you love it because it's a part of God has biologically wired you to choose challenges so you become a happier person. God wants you happy, man. I'm telling you. Let's look at another dimension of this. The assignment of personal responsibility in the words of Jesus. Jesus says, do you want to get well? No, no, I, I want to, but I got all these three people that won't let me. Well, would you look, just get up. He gets up. Jesus says, Jesus finds him and goes, okay, when I found you, you were quite a sinner. Go and sin no more unless something worse happens. Now, I'm going I'm to touch on that before I close in a moment about what that means. But 
couple of things stand out to me. Jesus will not do anything for you that you can do for yourself. Right? Jesus wouldn't even suggest to him that he, that he should want to be healed. He didn't suggest. He's, you know, I, I'm, I, when I want somebody to do something, I will try to trick them into saying it. You want, you want to get well, don't you? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> don't you want to get well? No, no. Jesus just says, do you want to get well? It was all up to him. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus would not live a moral and righteous life for him. You got to go live it. Jesus doesn't listen to excuses. Why you can't be happy. Why you can't have joy. Why, it's not, why things aren't going to work for you. They're not going to work for me. Tithing, giving tithe, a tithe isn't going to work for me. All these other people, are, I got too many things against me. Serving, getting involved. Prayer, none of it's going to work for me. No, Jesus doesn't want to hear your excuses. And let me tell you another thing. Jesus rewards effort. There's a powerful spiritual principle in the idea that God supernaturally responds to natural effort. I love the way Jesus lands at the tomb of Lazarus and Martha and says to Mary and Martha, whose brother had died. Some of you know that story. And Jesus says to them, take away the stone. I'm sure they're thinking, I thought you were going to do that. No, you take away the stone. You take care of the stone, I'll take care of the corpse. That's what Jesus was saying, right? Um, effort. A young man this, this week who, who had been very honest with me in the past about a struggle with pornography said to me, I had to get to the place that I didn't care who knew. And I was willing to set up accountability. In other words, the Lord did not come and sprinkle magic porn vaccination dust. There's something you have to do. Jesus would say to people with a withered arm, stretch out your withered arm. He would say to this man, rise up and walk. He would say to a man who was blind, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus will always give you something to do that will require effort. Grace, grace is not a magic carpet ride over effort. Grace works through effort. Grace works through struggle. See, we're, and, and we're naive if we believe that there are times in people's lives when they, when they do not want to get well. And, and, and we're naive if we don't think that there are times in people's lives when they, when they want to destroy themselves and everything else. That actually happens in human beings' lives. It actually happens so much more than you can imagine. But Jesus comes to find the people. Listen to me. Jesus comes in this room today to find the people who say, I want to get better. I want my family history. I want my family's future to be different than my family's history. I want to get better. I want my purpose in life to be different than what it was. I want, even in physical health, I want my physical health to be as great as it could be because I have a job to do for the world around me and I need to be at optimum physical energy and level in order to do it. So let me close with this though. 
I'm going to close with talking about the illusion of sinless perfection in the words of Jesus. When Jesus says to the guy, oh, go and sin no more. And when, I, when I quote it, the King James is what I remember. Go and sin no more lest a worse thing comes upon you. Um, he was not imagining sinless perfection. That's not what he was imagining. He was pointing out, now listen to this, I think this is an important point. He was pointing out that disobedience is always risky. It's always risky to disobey God. It's always risky to sin against nature. He was saying, I can't protect you from the consequences of your sin. I can heal you. I can make you better. I can be your friend. But I can't protect you from the consequences of your behavior. Can I propose to you something that I am positive scripture supports me in? And that is, Jesus was not saying you must live a sinless life. But instead, the battle to get yourself right is the struggle and the one that will protect you from unnecessary pain. That is the right struggle. You're going to struggle. You're either going to struggle against sin or you're going to struggle with the consequences of sin. And Jesus was simply saying the right struggle is to struggle. The right struggle is to struggle against. I'll get this back on. The right struggle is to struggle against sin itself. Amen? Hebrews 12, 1, 4, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And then jump down to verse 4. In our struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That means that following Christ and knowing his grace is going to involve a feeling of struggle sometimes. A feeling of struggle against your own impulses. And God's grace is so powerful, but God's grace does not deliver you from that struggle that you engage in. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. God's grace responds to me when I struggle. When I struggle, God is attracted, God is attracted to people who struggle for the right things. Jesus is attracted. He moves toward me when he sees me struggling against sin. The Holy Spirit is defined as a helper, right? He's defined as a helper. What does a helper do? A helper, if you're, if you're building a house and you hire a helper, a helper is going to bring you tools. Hey, go get me those tools. Go out in the truck and get me that level. Go out in the truck and get me my skill saw. Go to Dunkin' Donuts and bring us some coffee. I actually saw a police officer yesterday with his lights on, going down 140, and didn't pull anybody over. He turns into the stop and shop, I mean, the, I mean, the job lot plaza in, up to Dunkin' Donuts. I actually saw that when I was. So a helper brings you tools. A helper might bring you some directions. So the Holy Spirit's come alongside you, not to be your doer for you, 
but to be your helper. Oh God, I'm struggling with this. I, 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 I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with apathy. I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with resentment. And Jesus says, I'll be right there. I'll be right there to help you. The way we show him our gratitude for grace is to struggle well. In humility and hope. For even when we fail, and we do, we know that, even when nature doesn't forgive us, he does. I want you to stand. I hope today I've helped you to have some different conversation. We haven't given all kinds of examples of what sin is. Haven't defined sin beyond the simple idea of missing the mark. But I want you to go on an adventure today and I want you to begin to make a conversation a part of your life is I am going to love myself enough to struggle against the things that I know are hurting myself and hurting the world around me. I'm going to help the people I know. I'm going to help the people I love. I'm going to be, I'm going to try to lead them in the conversations that will help them get better. That will help them to get better at being a child of God, at being a human being. I'm going to have conversations with them that's going to help them do better. I'm, not, I'm going to ask sometimes some difficult questions, and I'm going to care about them enough to tell them what I believe to be the truth. I'm going to do it with humility. I'm going to do it with grace. I'm always going to have forgiveness ready. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to criticize them. See, see you know what Bethesda meant? Bethesda meant the house of mercy. It wasn't the house of criticism. It wasn't the house of judgment. Bethesda was the house of mercy. So everything Jesus said there, even though you may look at it and go, well, I would never say that to somebody. But everything Jesus said there was in the context of grace and mercy because he was in the house of mercy. And every time Jesus talks to you about your sin, it's in the context. It's in the, it's in the matrix of mercy and grace like you like you won't get anywhere else in your life. So maybe you're here this morning and you need to pray about behaviors that you know are binding you and limiting your potential. You know what? Let me, in closing, give me this definition of sin. Sin is making choices. It's the force that causes me to make choices that decrease my divine potential. So if you're making some choices out there that you know are decreasing your divine potential, come up and let these prayer partners pray for you. Or maybe you have something entirely different that I didn't even preach on, but you need prayer. I have prayer partners waiting on you. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to enter response time. Father, in Jesus' name, take the mercy and grace that was spoken into the world by the word of life, by the logos of Jesus, and validated by his death on the cross, and cause it to explode in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.